Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. Yes, it's official, folks. The holidays are upon us. So, happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, joyous Kwanzaa, and whatever else you might celebrate. Wherever you are, may your days be merry and bright. And how's this for holiday magic? President Biden has signed a short-term funding bill that will avert a government shutdown through next week. The final passage of that bill is expected by Christmas Eve. This crucial step puts us it's on a path to a year-long government spending bill. Well, some of that year has already been eaten up, but ensuring that all agencies get the funding they need to serve the people. The continuing resolution we passed yesterday will ensure that government stays open through December 23rd, Friday to Friday, so appropriators have enough time to finish, and we have enough time to finish so that you can go home and celebrate the holidays with your families. But former President Scrooge is now urging his old buddies in the GOP to hold out until after the new year, when Republicans take control of the House to negotiate a new spending bill and the expansion of the debt ceiling. Trump also made a complete and total fucking asshole of himself last Thursday when he made this very big announcement. No one knew what this major announcement was going to be, but there was a lot of actual speculation. Would he announce a long shot bid to become Speaker of the House? Would he announce his intended running mate? And would Kid Rock say yes? (laughs) Often these pre-hyped announcements turn out to be duds, not this one. Because late this morning, the former president dropped the blockbuster news. Major announcement. My official digital trading card collection is here. That's right. You read that right. The ex-president of the United States, the ex-most powerful man in the world, has launched a line of trading cards. It's Gropimon with Pikachu. There are many things that Donald Trump has done that give me pause and make me wonder if he doesn't have something worse than just simple stupidity. I mean, seriously, like fucking brain damage. With his tax returns set to be released as soon as next week, you'd think that Trump would be huddled with lawyers or begging a foreign government for asylum but not pretending to be Superman in an NFT trading card scam that's sure to go bust. Whoever advised him on that, I'd fire him immediately. These cards feature some of the really incredible... Okay, I got it. I got it. I can't watch it again. Make it stop. Anybody in the comms team and anybody in Mar-a-Lago, and I love the folks down there, but we're at war. They ought to be fired. Especially not now, with the clock ticking. The House Ways and Means Committee only has until the end of the year to release some or all of Trump's tax returns from 2015 through 2020. Or kick rocks. Once Republicans take the House on January 3rd, those tax returns will disappear, never to see the light of day. So let's hope that the Ways and Means Committee votes to put Trump's taxes on blast. Just a moment ago, I got a release on my phone from the House Ways and Means Committee. Remember, they're the one that just received, uh, got kind of clearance finally from the Supreme Court to get their hands on Donald Trump's tax returns from the IRS. They've noticed their own meeting on Tuesday to discuss documents protected under Internal Revenue Service Code Section 6103. 
Those are the tax returns that they have had kind of theoretically in their possession, Schrodinger's tax returns. They can either confirm or deny their existence. <laughs> well, they're going to have this meeting on Tuesday, a necessary step towards any other way to potentially make them public in the future. Not a great start of the week next week for Donald Trump. Sometime early this week, the January 6th committee is supposed to let us know if they'll proceed with the two criminal referrals they've been preparing for Trump. The referrals are meant for the Department of Justice to finally prosecute the former president. This morning, all eyes on the January 6th committee as its year-and-a-half-long investigation comes to a close. Members using the weekend to complete a lengthy report of their findings and recommendations that will be presented at a final meeting on Monday and released widely on Wednesday. Included in those recommendations, potential criminal referrals to the Justice Department for former President Trump over his role in the attack on the Capitol. We fight like hell. Members still debating whether to recommend charges for insurrection, obstruction of an official proceeding of Congress, and conspiracy to defraud the federal government. We've been very, very careful in crafting these recommendations and tethering them to the facts that we've uncovered. And for months, the committee has been debating the move, which is largely symbolic. But then again, the committee will be the first governing body to publicly denounce Trump and call for his prosecution. So good on them. They claim that their extensive report, also due out before the end of the year, will read like step-by-step instructions on how to attempt a coup and not succeed. In all fairness, I think it goes perfect with my book, Revenge. So stand by for developments, but fingers crossed that the report forces the DOJ to act. Our leaders today belittle and in some cases justify attacks on the U.S. Capitol as, quote, legitimate political discourse. The once great party of Lincoln, Roosevelt and Reagan has turned its back on the ideals of liberty and self-governance. Instead, it has embraced lies and deceit. Adam Kinzinger delivered his farewell speech on the House floor on Friday and had nothing good to say about the grand old party or the former president. Kinzinger, a decorated veteran, was once seen as the future of the Republican Party, but now couldn't win a GOP primary if he was the last Republican on earth. So why, you may ask? Because he sought to hold his party responsible for the insurrection. He demanded the truth. Of course, they'll never do that, and his participation on the January 6th committee guaranteed his permanent excommunication from the party. But Kinzinger is a smart kid. I expect we haven't seen the last of him. Maybe we'll get lucky and he'll become a Democrat. We must not abandon our values or our beliefs in the U.S. Constitution. We all swore an oath in this very chamber to support and defend the Constitution of the United States, not a political party and not a single man. Where Republicans once believed that limited government meant lower taxes and more autonomy, today limited government means inciting violence against government officials. File under who didn't see this coming, Twitter genius Elon Musk has done the tech equivalent of taking your ball and going home because he can't play nice with others. Twitter Spaces, a group audio feature on the social media platform, abruptly stopped working Thursday after a number of journalists used a Spaces chat to confront Musk about his non-existent Twitter policies. 
Musk just started suspending the Twitter accounts of reporters just willy-nilly. We're talking about journalists from huge publications like the New York Times, the Washington Post, and CNN. Plus, independent journalists and folks who report for Mashable and The Intercept. He even asked Keith Oberman, who mostly just posts pictures of dogs anymore. So what the fuck, Elon? Elon Musk is mocking his critics who say Twitter's suspension of several journalists' accounts amounts to censorship, tweeting, quote, so inspiring to see the newfound love of freedom of speech by the press. This is after the Twitter accounts belonging to multiple journalists, including our own Donny O'Sullivan, were suspended for reporting about an account that tracked his private jet. Tom Foreman is out front. Everyone's going to be treated the same. They're not special because you're a journalist. Free speech? Free speech, my fucking ass! Did any of us ever believe that Musk, the smirking albino toad, was ever going to be a champion of free speech? I didn't, I hope that he did, and I even tweeted that I hope that he did, but he didn't. Last week's lame Twitter files reveal was rolled out by dubious journalists like Barry Weiss and Matt Taibbi, who, like Musk, are both anti-establishment bordering on libertarian. But these Twitter files were supposed to prove that big tech Twitter had censored Republicans and anti-vaxxers. And God knows who else. Matt Taibbi, always a pleasure to see you, sir. So I was wondering from you, now that we've had, you know, your pieces come out, Schellenberger's pieces come out, Barry's pieces come out, what did you think was the sort of most significant, most troubling, most interesting revelations that came out of the quote-unquote Twitter files? I think there are two things that uh, are the most significant. Um, probably the first one is what uh, what, hap what what Barry did in her first thread, which basically just confirmed what everybody knew, but um, revealed concretely that that you know that there there is such a thing as shadow banning, um, and not only does it exist, but they have an extraordinarily idiosyncratic system that basically allows these companies to have virtually unlimited control over the visibility of any account, person, hashtag, anything. They can dial it down all the way to zero, you can't be searched, and all the way up to amplified to the max. Uh, and she showed that, you know, we're seeing the, the screenshots of uh, things like trends blacklist. Uh, it's incontrovertible proof. But the big reveal actually turned out to be a nothing burger. I mean, in fact, less than fucking nothing. It was boring, but it sure as hell set off idiots like who else? Donald Trump, who then claimed that the information contained in those threads should turn back the clock and make him president again. Eh, shit. And I kid you not. The fight for free speech is a matter of victory or death for America and for the survival of Western civilization itself. When I am president, this whole rotten system of censorship and information control will be ripped out of the system at large. There won't be anything left. By restoring free speech, we'll begin to reclaim our democracy and save our nation. Thank you, and God bless America. One Twitter user wrote, and I quote, Trump tried to turn Truth Social into Twitter, but instead, Elon Musk turned Twitter into Truth Social. Another thing, Musk kicked those folks off of Twitter, but doesn't have a communications team or any other spokespeople who can be contacted to explain why. So, 
No one even really knows why those liberal journalists were thrown off the platform in the first place. But we can certainly speculate. Now, Musk is justifying all this censorship by suggesting that the suspended journalists were somehow implicated in a breach of private data. My plane, he said, is actually not trackable without using non-public data. Here's the thing, though. It is trackable using only publicly available data. We know that because we found the location of his jet today using this highly sophisticated and terribly exclusive journalistic tool called the Google search bar. And that information is still online and trackable, regardless of Musk's account suspension spree. What actually appears to be happening here is this. Elon Musk is picking a fight with journalists who are doing their jobs, covering the whims of one of the richest men in the world, who also happens to own one of the most influential social media platforms around. Earlier this week, Musk sold off $3.8 billion in Tesla stock, despite having repeatedly pledged earlier this year that he wouldn't. The ginormous sale sent the stock into a shitter. Again, Musk hasn't said why he sold the shares or if it was to help refinance some of the high interest loans that Twitter is carrying because of Musk's buyout. But either way, it all appears to be done on the fly, which reminds me of another stable genius we reported on earlier this week. The crypto kid, Sam Bankman-Fried, who also saw himself as too good to do good business. So I just say fuck them both, that they will cost consumers billions before they both go down in flames. Tesla shares continue to slide this morning in a regulatory filing. Elon Musk disclosing he sold another 22 million shares of the company from Monday through Wednesday, worth about $3.6 billion. Tesla did close yesterday with a market cap below $500 billion for the first time in two years, as investors have expressed concerns about Musk's focus on Twitter. In her first public message since arriving home from a Russian in prison, Brittany Griner took to Instagram to thank her fans, to thank her family and her faith for getting her through her 10-month incarceration. She also had this to say, and I quote, To President Biden, you brought me home and I know you are committed to bringing Paul Whelan and all Americans home too. I will use my platform to do whatever I can to help you. Every family deserves to be whole. Indeed, they do, Brittany. So clearly she is feeling the love. She is feeling uh, on the road to recovery, but wanting to use, like she said, her platform to help other Americans and other families still struggling. It was pretty a pretty lengthy post, uh, all in all. And I was surprised to see that she is going to be playing in, in the WNBA. I'm sure lots of her fans are, are happy to hear about that. Absolutely. That had been a big question. Of course, everyone here at the White House, the administration had said that her recovery and her timeline is up to her. Her coach had said the same, that, that they were waiting to see what Brittany wanted to do. So here she is sort of making it official. I'm sure fans will be very pleased. The idea of seeing her back out on the court, doing what she loves, doing what she is so good at. It is exciting. It kind of gives me chills just thinking about seeing her back out there soon. Now, in the meantime, Russia's grim assault on Ukraine has paralyzed the country. The Russians have bombed the electrical grid and left citizens without heat, with no light or running water. Though it's winter and freezing, they are attacking schools and apartment buildings. They're destroying Ukraine's economy so that even if by some miracle of God Russia retreats, Ukraine will be literally left in ruins. So shame on you, Vladimir Putin, and all those who support him and bless Ukraine and all the brave, brave souls caught in the middle of this senseless war. 
These aren't just hollow words. I wish the world peace on earth and goodwill to men and women everywhere. But pray for Ukraine, because they really need it. And now for the main event. Today we welcome back to our show my good friend Norm Eisen. There's pretty much nothing going on in politics today that Eisen doesn't have an educated opinion about. Eisen is a CNN legal analyst and the founder and executive chair of States United Democracy Center, a nonpartisan organization advancing free, fair, and secure elections. Eisen served as special counsel to President Barack Obama on ethics, and in that role, he was dubbed Mr. No and the ethics czar because he's well known for his tough anti-corruption approach to governance. Eisen is also active with the Brookings Institute and other groups working to expose the myriad of ways Trump and others like him broke the law and attempted to overturn the 2020 election. Eisen is also working with the Brookings Institute to help Ukraine recover and thrive once Putin's war has finally come to an end. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Norm, Trump is supposedly on the fast track to prosecution by the DOJ in the Mar-a-Lardo documents case. Now, I understand that you tweeted, and I'm going to quote, this is sweet vindication for those of us who analyze from the start this day would come for the rule of law. So do me a favor. Tell us what you know. And is this all happening now because of Jack Smith and the fact that he's on the case? Or is it just happening because it's time? Well, there's a lot in that question, Michael. First of all, I'll tell you what I know and I'll tell you why it's happening. Well, I have to begin by saying what a pleasure it is to be back with my friend. I see we we both got the dress code. Uh, uh, we're wearing black. We're mourning Trump's coming loss of impunity. Finally, you know, we already got the Michael. He took the first shot already. Uh, the 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 documents case probably will be probably will be the third by the time the government gets around to it because um he got his company got convicted in the new york case and i want to talk i want to talk about that with you that's an important thing it's crazy anyhow but to get to your questions what what we know is that um that donald trump clearly uh broke the law over and over again and uh the reason that he took those documents is because he had gotten away with it for so long. He thought he could do anything with total impunity. He still claims the documents belong to him. So that that's obviously nonsense. Um, it's not Jack Smith, Jack Smith's arrival on the scene that makes a difference in his, um, his coming liability. And I wrote that tweet because it was, um, it was um, such uh, sweet justice to see Judge Cannon, uh, you know, 
that crazy opinion that she wrote, <laughs> appointing a special master and making all these claims about Trump's rights, it was made up. And for so many people said this is wrong and false. Uh, so many people said that was wrong and false. Uh, so that's a vindication. Um, and uh, he's going to get prosecuted on, I'm very likely going to get prosecuted on these documents. Uh, not because Jack Smith is there, but because Donald Trump clearly broke the law over and over again. If you or I had taken a single one of those classified documents, we would very likely be investigated, charged, and convicted. And, and the guy had over 100 they're still finding them in storage lockers. And there's dozens of empty classified folders. Nobody knows where those documents went. So um, I think that, um, I think that uh, um, you know, uh, prosecution is coming, but uh, um, there's going to be other charges even before Mar-a-Lago. I think uh, the Georgia election denial crimes uh, from the 2020 cycle are going to be the first to hit him personally. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. I've always maintained, and I'm willing to go my standard $1 bet. Um, my belief is that this case is the easiest to prove. I think it's the one that puts him in the most jeopardy because you also have Christina Bob, the lawyer, who was asked to sign a document by Trump and his people like Boris Epstein, where they turned around and they had her sign off that there are no more documents. And then, yes, we find out the other day that there are additional documents in some storage facility <laughs> in West Palm <laughs> Beach. Now, I was on, it's, you can't, you make, can't this make this shit, shit up. up. You can't make this shit up. So I was on Nicole Wallace and I was also on with Rev Al and uh, as well as Ari Melbourne. I said the same thing. And I think it's so funny that I should repeat it again. Could you imagine? Because it's not like the Trump organization, now that Weisselberg was convicted and allegedly not there, that they're keeping up to date with their bills. Could you imagine if they forget to make a payment on that storage facility in West Palm Beach? And then all of a sudden it's like storage wars. People are bidding $5, $10, $100, $200. And ultimately, what do they get? <laughs> Tom Brady's helmet, Mike Tyson's belt, and they get some national security secrets, right? Like where's our nuclear silos and so on. That's the whole problem here. Like we could make fun of this entire situation, but it's not a joke. Not when you're putting the national security of the United States of America in jeopardy because you want to use these documents for nefarious purpose. Yeah. He didn't take them because he just wanted them as mementos. He took them for a purpose. Look, there's no doubt about it. It is a powerful case. But when you look at the, when you look at the legal landscape, I also think that Trump's election denial crimes, because that's what they were in the 2020 election. It was the birth of this m dangerous movement that now uh, 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 is about to take over the United States House of Representatives. Election denial. Uh, the idea that, um, that despite all the evidence, all the facts, all the law, that uh, Donald Trump actually won the 2020 election. He committed, it seems to me, and uh, January 6th committee is reportedly going to make criminal referrals on these election denial crimes. 
Um, he committed federal and state violations there, too, it appears to me. I've written about it at length. And Fonnie Willis is ahead of everybody. J- you know, J- Jack Smith uh, was still sitting uh, trying war crimes in Europe when she <laughs> when she started her investigation. And that woman has been undaunted. Oh, my God, the difference between her and Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan DA, uh, uh, that guy has nothing to brag about, Michael. Uh, and, and the, the fact that he won the, these convictions in the tax case, he should have brought his Trump cases long ago. And you know about this, okay? But Fonnie Willis is smarter than that. Um, and she is proceeding against Donald Trump. And I think she's going to drop charges, uh, as soon as the new year. And so, uh she's gonna beat jack smith she's got a good case also that's the one two punch the um it's really a one two three punch the democracy crimes of 2020 the document crimes um and then the financial crimes uh and you know bragg now realizes he screwed up he's brought in a very good lawyer matthew colangelo to who i know to try to bring back from the dead, but why did he fire? Why did he fire uh, Pomerantz and Dunn? These brilliant prosecutors. And well, he didn't. Well, by the way, Norm, they quit. He didn't fire That's them. right. They, re- they resigned he under protest. Them, and I should know better because they're friends of mine too. Why did he force their resignation by not bringing those cases? Why did he send you back your documents, Michael? You're the most important witness in that case. Well, especially in that case with the non-disclosure, it is truly amazing that, you know, I, who did not have the affair with Stormy Daniels, Donald did, it is I, who did not have the affair with Karen McDougal, the Playboy Playmate, Donald did, that I did an NDA, sent money to a Beverly Hills attorney, Keith Davidson, to his IOLTA account, and that would be violative of campaign finance law. Which it was is, done at the direction of and is. for the benefit of Donald uh, J. Trump. Okay, right. but it is a yeah. violation. I, I gotta tell you. On, not, but uh, why on my? Why only on my not side? Only. What about the That's man? That's the problem. Right. That's the problem. It right. should not be only you and the. And, that's and the you point were willing I was trying to cooperate. To you were trying to help, and the notion that Trump. Got, gets away scot-free on that is outrageous. And, Al, and Alan Weisselberg ends up getting uh, immunity for lying and testifying yeah. uh, as far as this. I mean, look, this whole Southern District of New York nonsense. <laughs> I mean, it's. I tried to expose it, as you know, in my book, Revenge. And I just wish that more people would actually read the book. Even those people who will come up to me on the street, thank you for all that you're doing. You don't even know what it is that I'm doing. You don't even know what I've done. You know, you're basically looking at me based on the allegations that were made against me uh, by the Southern District yeah. and in the in in the press, and you don't even realize the truth and how much further I actually went. But since we're on Alvin Bragg and his. I like to say, you know, I have a bunch of friends and we're in this like little private group chat where we talk about Alvin bragging about one point six million dollars of a fine to the Trump organization. This grifter in chief is going to sit there, send out one text message, you know, or one tweet on his untruth social 
and he'll raise that money in three seconds. This is not the way it's supposed to be. But are you aware, and I was meaning to add, I was going to call you when I saw this the other day, that the Trump organization lost a secret trial and was held in contempt of court for defying grand jury subpoenas before Alvin Bragg's um, district attorney's office? Are you aware of that? There, it's been publicly reported. And, uh, you know, the... Um, the 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 story of the Trump organization is one of uh, repeated uh, defiance of the law, denial of the rule of law, doing the wrong thing, and uh, attempting to delay and deflect the operation of the rule of law. So it's not a surprise. But Michael, they got to get to the main event. These are all, as we say in Jewish, forspice. These are the appetizers, right? The main event, it's very important. We can't let, we got to look at the big picture. There's the democracy crimes, there's the document crimes, and then there's uh, the um, the frauds at the Trump organization, the false, and you're an authority on this. And that is what Bragg is supposed to be looking at. We do have another very tough lady, uh, and that is Tish James, God bless her. And she, our, yes, our unsinkable attorney general. You know, did you see the way she directly attacked Bragg on the first place, the first page of her civil fraud case against Trump and the Trump org and the Trump kids? And that's a corporate death penalty case. It's tantamount to a corporate death penalty case. Um, she she attacks Bragg for not bringing the criminal cases. She says these are criminal cases. Now, she doesn't have the jurisdiction. So now he's got somebody. He went and got somebody from the New York AG's office, Matt Colangelo, very strong prosecutor. I think that's a tacit admission by Bragg. Hey, he screwed up by driving Dunn and Pomerantz out of the office. Those guys could have gotten convictions against Trump for sure. Okay, now he's going to let Bragg, uh, he's going to let a uh, Colangelo, bring it back from the dead. I say better ne- late than never. Supposedly, they're focusing on the hush money offenses. Um, you better hurry before the statutes of limitations run. Uh, but I think that uh, your listeners need to understand there's three fronts in the in the legal wars against Trump. Um, there's the Mar-a-Lago documents democracy crimes state and federal prosecutions possible there and these uh long-standing fraudulent practices of the trump organization so let me just go back for a quick second and talk to you about this secret trial on the contempt and so on because that fell before the same judge which was uh judge uh, juan merchant and Allegedly, well, I shouldn't say allegedly because it was reported, according to the New York Times, that this came about from Trump organization's loss in the case where they unsealed on Tuesday this document, which was still partially redacted, um, that details the fact that the that Trump and the company failed to comply with four grand jury subpoenas as well as three court orders that were issued um, against them. And then 
there was a ruling on it going back to December 8th of 2021. Now, what I find to be, and I'm going to give you the quote from Judge uh, Mershon. Examining the record as a whole, there can be no doubt that the Trump organization's failures amount to willful disobedience. Despite clear warnings, the company missed deadline after deadline, never moving to quash subpoenas and never seeking court intervention. Some subpoenas were largely ignored and another was ignored entirely. Look, uh, well, look, again, on the other I hand. went to prison after 48 hours, right, uh. because they put the pressure on me. Why is everybody stepping away from the pressure tactic? They don't respond then you have a secret. I didn't know about this until the New York yeah. Times release just the other day. Yeah, just, And I'm angry that I didn't know it. Uh, well, and, you know, you should be e even angrier because, as you know, what was the penalty at the end of the secret trial? $4,000. So, it, it, you know, I understand why you're angry. And it's not just you. My, I mean, you, you personally... You did the right thing. You stepped up. You accepted responsibility. Um, you even for things that I didn't do. You, e I accepted responsibility well, even for things I didn't do. But you, let's focus on the things you did do. That's it, it's a it's a positive for you. It's not a negative. You accepted. You did wrong. I understand. I understand. I accepted, but I accepted responsibility for things that I didn't do, like the payment to Karen McDougal. That was done by well, David Pecker, yes. and that was done by AMI, and I ended up being, you know, no, you, you, it, forced we, we should to plead it. guilty to it. We should phrase it differently. And see, listeners, this is just what he says his typical bet is a hamburger, is a dollar, but it's actually a kosher hamburger. And this is just what we do when <laughs> Michael and I sit down together and we break bread, have pasta or whatever. Uh, we talk these things out. You accepted response. The problem is not that that you accepted responsibility too broadly. You, you took responsibility for your for what you did, but others were not held accountable. That is what hurts nope. me, and that's what I that's why I wrote. I know people are reading Revenge, Michael, because they approach me. Some are reading all the way to the afterward that Daniel Perry and I wrote at the end of the book. Yep. And, and you know that. And I thank you for uh, that. It's because part of the, of course, we've become friends through all of this. What a distance we've traveled since my first trip to see you in New York at the beginning of 2019, when you laid it all out, including the election denial crimes, by the way. You said to me, he's not going to leave voluntarily. He's never going to leave the White House. And, you know, that's why I was able, when I wrote my book, to predict, when I wrote my impeachment book, I wrote about that and I predicted everything that was going to come later in 2020 and 2021. But, Michael, the problem is that others haven't been held accountable. But the number one who hasn't been held accountable is Donald Trump. And his his day is coming now. And that is a that is a good thing for justice. And we'll see if Brad... So then let me, so then Norm, let me ask you this then, because that's, that's a great, it's a great transition for where I want to go to this, because, you know, with all that you know about the various legal issues facing Trump, and, you know, I've always said to, I've said to you, I've said on television, I've said it to the press, I don't think he's actually running for the presidency, but assuming that he somehow gets into the primaries, how can a man 
with so much legal exposure become the nominee of any party? I don't think he can. I think uh, DeSantis is going to be the nominee. I don't believe that uh, Trump will um, be able to withstand the uh, the incredible um, um, the incredible um, pressure that he's onslaught. <laughs> I mean, I, I just don't. I don't. And you're seeing it now in the polls. I've been saying it for weeks, months, but now you're seeing it in the polls. There was a. Uh, there was a poll just this week that shows he's fallen substantially behind to DeSantis. Now, that doesn't mean that he can't catch up. You know, there's no, unfortunately, there's no <laughs> there's no guarantees, uh, no guarantees in this in this world about what's going to happen. But I um, I think that um, that he's going to he's going to lose. And Michael, you know what? Among many other things, this is where we started with my tweet, uh, Sweet Revenge. Um, maybe that could be your next book, Sweet Revenge, The Downfall of Donald Trump, yeah. a sequel. To yeah, maybe you'll write it. Maybe you'll write <laughs> it with me. You know, <laughs> you know, but it's funny because I have never wavered in my statement that Trump is not going to run that everything that he's doing right now is part of the great Donald grift. And if people don't believe that, I just want them to Google for a quick second. Now, not if you're driving your car and listening, but I want you to Google. Donald had stated several days ago on his, again, Untruth Social, and it was via a short video of him wearing a superhero outfit with lasers coming out of his eyes that on Wednesday, there's going to be a major announcement. Folks, folks, there's going to be a major announcement. And trust me, you're going to be very happy. It's going to be a great announcement. Major, major, major. And you sit there and everybody's like, holy shit. Maybe he's going to announce that he finally hired a campaign manager or a finance chair or a social secretary or a press person or what have you. Or maybe he's going to say that yay or maybe, you know, uh, somebody else is going to be, uh, Carrie Lake or somebody is going to be his vice president. Who the hell knows what this major announcement was going to be. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> lo and behold, first thing in the morning, the grifter in chief, the man with the stubby little fingers on his untrued social puts out the major announcement. And what is that major announcement? Did you see it? $99. It turns out (laughs) nobody said it, in my opinion, better than the Daily Beast. This guy, Zachary Petrizzo, who's this political reporter. And (laughs) Donald Trump's major announcement is grifty NFT projects. So for those people who didn't see it, it's this lame NFT digital trading card um, announcement that you too, for the price of just $99, could own a digital trading card of Donald in a superhero outfit or Donald in a cowboy outfit or in a space suit. I mean, it is the funniest shit I have ever seen. I mean, the, the fact that he's so out of his mind. I mean, 
<laughs> fucking batshit crazy that you're going to make a major announcement over an NFT, which, by the way, right now we're failing across the board, right? He's going to do an NFT as a release, but for, again, what? To make money, to grift off of these idiots that have decided that they're willing to take their hard-earned dollars instead of feeding their family or paying rents or uh, car payments or whatever it might be, they're going to give it to Donald for a digital trading <laughs> so, card. So the only stupider, stupider major announcement he could have made would be if he <laughs> announced a new Donald Trump Bitcoin that is the only worse uh, uh, idea that he could have had at this moment. But, Michael, I know it's. Oh, that would only be. But, Norm, that would only be if it was on the FTX platform. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> right? maybe with his bankruptcy expertise, maybe he's making a play to move into that space, Michael. Can I just ask you this question? Because this is funny. In the um, Daily Beast article. Donald puts out there, my official Donald Trump digital trading card collection is here, with an exclamation mark, of course. And I'm shocked there was only one. And then he finishes, these limited edition cards feature amazing art of my life and career. Now, look, I've known the man since 2005, give or, give or take, maybe a little before that, but 2005. I've never, ever heard of Trump going on a hunt. So him there with a gun, you know, or as a cowboy, he can't <laughs> ride a horse. On top of that, I know that he's never trained in NASA. He did once drive a NASCAR, right? Or uh, something like that. He drove the, uh, the pace car there. So I can give him that one. But how is this his life and his career when he's wearing an astronaut suit or a, you know, or a cowboy outfit or a superhero? When, I'm, I'm just makes, curious. Maybe when he was eight in, in it, Forest Hills? He dressed up as it Superman? It actually makes me sad, not not for Trump and the other uh, grifters. He's got a small band of um, these, like these election den deniers, you know, who carry Lake and, and Fincham and Hamaday in Arizona. They're still claiming they won the election, Michael. They've all filed lawsuits. They're in litigation. You know, so he's got a handful of these people. It's no joke because they're about to take over the House of Representatives. A majority of them, the majority is going to be these election deniers, these Trump fraudsters in the House of Representatives. People, <laughs> people forget that that it, it wasn't all bad news for the for the Trump um, for the Trump train in 2022. Some people did win. And a majority of the majority subscribes. Look at how uh, the wannabe uh, Speaker of the House genuflects to, to Trump. Uh, will they continue to do it when he's charged and prosecuted, I wonder? But the ones I feel sad for are every single person who purchases one of those NFT cards because he's a cult leader. And there's a lot of our fellow Americans, millions of them, Michael, tens of millions, who drank the Kool-Aid. And, and, and that's a tragedy. 10 million of these Trump followers were Obama voters. So they're not, it, you know, they're not all 
a lifelong adherence to uh, his gospel of hate. And I really, I'm sad for the people who he's ripping off, who subscribe to his ideology, who believe his nonsense, who go to his rallies. And um, you've written a lot about how charismatic he is and how, you know, how he uh, hypnotized you for all those years uh, and how he preys yeah. on people. And now he's gone, he's doing that wholesale. And what are we going to do about Part of the reason that I think these prosecutions are so important is the reason I came to see you all those years ago in New York before you went to uh, Otisville, right before you went to Otisville. Uh, it was one of my yep. first trip that I made when I was hired as impeachment co-counsel. Um, the, the, uh, the, the reason is that maybe these criminal prosecutions will help break the fever. In other countries, they have. In other countries, they have. Maybe they'll help break the fever here, Michael. I don't know. And it's hard but to think about that. that when shows, each of but those isn't digital. This poll that shows that DeSantis has now, it's just one poll, but DeSantis is way in the so lead. The answer, Doesn't that show maybe the fever's yeah, breaking? Yeah, but the answer. That's assuming that it was just Trump versus DeSantis. The more Republicans that get in there, remember, he has that built-in core base. And at the end of the day, that core base could be enough to propel him into a primary. That's what he's certainly hoping. That and each one of those digital cards, each one is 99. It's not like you get the whole set. But you know, you know how you know that it's the massive grift that I keep saying it is? It reminds me of like the Ginsu knife commercial from years ago. But wait, there's more. If you act now, we're going to throw your name into the hat with a chance to win a Trumpian getaway along with a chance to meet the former president. <laughs> right? Now, the funny thing is they use the interesting word, along with a chance to meet the former president. So even the person who might win, well, that's, of course, depending if Trump wants to do it, because that's the, that's the language that they're using. Right? It's just a chance you may meet him. Or they may end up having you go to one of these, you know, <laughs> one of these uh, uh, rallies that he has in one of his Trump clubs with yeah. 60 people that just finished getting off the golf course or something like that. Did you see that? There was another one of a video. He walks into the room. He looks like hell rolled over in a handbasket, right? The the stomach is hanging over the side. He looks like he's wearing a fucking diaper that probably needs to be changed. And all of a sudden, his hair is all fucking fakakt, right? With a schwitzed and so on, half matted to his head, the other half flying uncontrollably out of the way. This is some picture I'm drawing for my listeners, all right? And then all of a sudden, these people start yelling for him. Half those people actually work there. That's the funniest part. The... The um, following is waning, but my hope is that the following is waning enough that somebody else can get in. And my my true concern is is DeSantis as bad yes. as Trump? You yes. know, sometimes the, the most, devil that the devil you know is better than the devil. This is the you most don't. important unreported story in America today. Ron DeSantis is as big an opponent of the rule of law with criminal violations, civil violations, regulatory violations, repeated court judgments against him, 
Um, he's as big an opponent of the rule of law as Trump, but he's slick, Michael. He's a Harvard Law grad, and he knows better how to present it, and, and no one will focus on it. Just the same way that you and I had to work so hard for so many years, and here we are, years after we first met and started working together on this, and Trump still hasn't been criminally charged. He's committed so many more crimes since we first started talking about it at the beginning of 2019. Here we are three years later. He still hasn't been charged for one, but it's coming. We need to start focusing on the danger represented by DeSantis. It's not adequately uh, it's not adequately being uh, covered, addressed, or understood. Uh, and um, uh, it, it's a tremendous peril. There's the, if I may say so, um, he, he um, uh, arranged for the abduction of these lawful Venezuelan migrants. They're no different than the Cuban migrants who fled Castro. These are fleeing the tyrant Maduro. They're lawfully here. He abducted them from Texas. They weren't even in Florida. He sent them to Martha's Vineyard under false pretenses. I've written about the possible crimes that that constitutes for him or those who work with him. He's uh, set up an election police to unlawfully, they told former felons, hey, you're allowed to vote. And then after telling them they could vote, they arrest them. I mean, that, that's not allowed. And in fact, the courts are throwing those no. cases out. He fired uh, a, a state prosecutor, Andrew Warren, for saying he was opposed uh, to um, abortion restrictions. It's a free speech violation. We could get a judgment in that case anytime. And he's got a string of court cases that have ruled against him that he's violated the Constitution and the law. The guy is a serial yeah, legal as Trump would Trump. say, fuck the Constitution, right? He's a Trumpian legal abuser, and yet nobody writes about that. Yeah. So let me just jump for a sec, because we talked about it before, the January 6th committee. The January 6th committee is about to release this final report. And I know that you've been an integral part of that process. If you would do this, do me this favor. Tell me and my listeners, are there any surprises in the report? And also... Do you think that they'll ultimately refer this for criminal prosecution? And what do you think will happen with that well, prosecution? I've been an integral part of the process just by writing and talking so people can see from day one. <laughs> you know, uh, I've had a bunch of pieces in the New York Times, big Brookings reports. I've come on and talked about the January 6th committee with Michael. Uh Michael, you must have listeners among the committee or staff because they are doing what you and I talked about from the get-go, make criminal referrals. Some people say that's meaningless. I think it's very important. And the press reports are that they're going to be making criminal referrals. Good, because DOJ, we know we can't leave anything to chance. And remember, I sketched for you the big areas where Trump is exposed. One is the Mar-a-Lago classified documents. Um, I've been on your show so many times that soon I'm gonna, I'm just afraid I'm gonna say Mara Lardo when I'm on the air one day, I'm gonna slip on. That would be, that would be brilliant, by the way. Everybody knows we're friends, so they'll know where I got it. 
So there's the Mar-a-Lago classified documents as one front. That's well in hand. Jack Smith, I believe, very likely going to charge that. Some point, I would guess, first quarter of 2023, maybe second quarter, probably first quarter. There's the doc, the, the democracy crimes. Fannie Willis, again, I think she's going to charge that early in 2023. Um, but the federal democracy crimes is a place where we need help. And that's why these... Uh, those are tough cases. No, we've never seen anything like them before. Of course, we've never seen anything like Trump's misconduct. I think that the committee, by issuing criminal referrals, issuing a good big report, all the evidence, that they're going to help push. Jack Smith doesn't need a hand with the Mar-a-Lago document crimes. He needs a hand, a little, you know, we need every bit of legal analysis and evidence and, and encouragement that we can get for there to be federal prosecutions to match what Fannie Willis is going to do. It shouldn't only be a state thing. And then the third area, um, and um, this is where we're looking to New York, the third area are the financial crimes. You just got the tax fraud convictions. That should have been a much bigger case brought by Pomerantz and Dunn against Trump. Uh, we need to bring that back Criminally, we'll see if Matt Colangelo does that for Trump at all, um, holding him accountable um, in Bragg's office, the new hire in Bragg's office. But there's also the civil case in New York. Don't neglect that. That's the big picture for 2023. Michael, that's our agenda for when I visit with you. That's the yeah. checklist, the punch list, what we're going to be tracking together in 2023 in those three areas. Well, I think there's actually a little bit more because, and then I'm going to pay you a nice compliment because, yes, you are my friend and I think you're brilliant. You wrote an excellent, excellent piece, and I recommend everyone to read it with um, Colby Galloper for the Colby Brookings Gallagher, Institute. Yes. Gallagher about the false electors in the 2020 election. Now, apparently, the false electors scheme is part of Jack Smith's yes. central focus. If you would, explain a little more to me. How many states actually sent false electors forward? And if you would, also explain why getting the facts and prosecuting the false electors is uh, so important. The uh, false electors were sent forward in seven states. And yet the only state that is currently investigating, actively investigating, about to bring charges is Georgia, the Fulton County DA in Atlanta, Fonnie Willis. So Colby, my brilliant uh, research, lead research assistant at Brookings, I have a wonderful team there um, but uh, that Colby leads. Um, and I um, sketched out uh the state of affairs in the in all seven states where there were phony slates and we asked why only georgia why not um in all of those states um we noted that jack smith is focusing on the fake electoral slates that's a good thing um so but it shouldn't only be the federal authorities in one of the states we distinguish between um, the um, states, um, Michigan, Wisconsin, um, Just Security published a very brilliant paper by Shan Wu and Gretchen Knott on the Wisconsin case this week, 
um, more evidence um, of gathering energy. Arizona is uh, another one of the states. So there's a series of places where there should be investigations. Now, I will say out of the seven states, uh, Nevada, uh, those the four places besides Georgia that should be the priority, Michigan, Wisconsin, Arizona, Nevada. If you look at the fake slates in Pennsylvania and in New Mexico, the electors did something uh, that was smart and decent there. Um, they included in the slates uh, uh, language that uh, they were only approving the slates if Donald Trump won his litigation cases. So the electors were a little more circumspect in those two states. Now, Trump and others abused those phony slates to try to trick Mike Pence and to try to hijack Congress later, but you can't blame the electors for that. I think we should have investigations just like the federal investigation and the Georgia investigation in up to four other states, and that's what Colby and I wrote about. Yeah, it's amazing. Let me ask you this then, because you raise an interesting point. Why do you think that Republicans want to undermine our faith in elections as much as they do? It's a very scary thought. Well, it's not all Republicans. Huh? Do you know any Democrats that are trying to do no, this? No, no, but I think we have to. I think we have to. <laughs> I didn't say all. I just say Republicans. Uh, but I think it's very important for the survival of our country. <laughs> We, we like have to distinguish between, <laughs> as the one six committee witness witnesses did, team normal in the Republican Party and team crazy. Um, and I'm sensitive to it uh, because some people are too quick to, um, you know, to, to 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 write off the entire Republican Party. You know, you can't include there. On the one hand, you got to say, well. Um, um, you know, the, the team crazy is about to take over the House of Representatives. I mean, Kevin uh, uh, has joined in his desire to be the um, the Speaker of the House. Kevin McCarthy has joined with Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's like it. And then you have. Right. I mean, you got that. I mean, I talk about batshit crazy. Then you have Jimbo Jordan. Right. Who's never been held accountable for you know, turning the blind eye over at University of what I was it, um, Ohio, yeah. uh, the the wrestling, and then on top of that, we have Matt Gates who wants a pretty big position, right? I think Gates it's with the House opposing. Judiciary. Yes, Gates is opposing I McCarthy. Mean, so Gates right now, and and Andy Biggs, who's uh, one of the election deniers, and Gates, they they're a rump group. Anyhow, um, th- that. Part of the Republican Party has taken over the House, is about to take yeah. over the House. And we have to call it, as you do, there we have to we have to call it what it is. It's team crazy. They're, you know, they're they're I mean, Trump just tweeted, uh, and one of these uh <laughs> folks, uh Paul Gosar retweeted. Uh, that the, even the Constitution has to be thrown out if it gets in the way of um, his uh, restoration uh, for 2020. And then Gosar deleted the retweet. But this is the anti-law crap. Then you have a more complicated situation. You know, Mitch McConnell is, um, for example, he's kind of... Uh, <laughs> You know, 
he's not the same as Kevin McCarthy. But the, the, the truth is, there's very few Republicans who are willing to directly defy Trump. And if they do, they get thrown out of the party. And that's Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. They're thrown out of the party. They're leaving the House of Representatives. So maybe you're right that the Republican Party consists for the most part of either insurrectionists or enablers. Yeah, I, I would definitely say that one. Speaking about enablers, Mark Meadows' phone reveals a whole lot of Republican lawmakers had suggestions and input into the insurrection. I mean, if this doesn't blow you the fuck away, I don't know what will, right? And many of them are still in Congress. They're still our representatives. What can be done to hold them accountable? I don't believe anyone who walked people through the Congress so that they could map it out in order to find Nancy Pelosi's office, in order to find where Mike Pence would be, in order to stop the certification of the election, should be allowed to wear the pin, should be allowed access into the people's house, and to be our representatives. I mean, this is just fucked up. Well, I, I can't disagree with you. There is a mechanism, 14th Amendment, Section 3, if someone is an actual insurrectionist or gives aid and comfort um, uh, uh, to insurrectionists, they can be um, barred from office, uh, barred from running for office. We've seen that happen with one individual. When? Uh, Who? Um, Chewy Griffin, who was a county official in New Mexico, crew, which, as you know, I, I, I co-founded and used to chair and I still admire and work with from time to time. Crew um, went to court in New Mexico and they got Griffin thrown out of office because he participated in the insurrection on January 6th. So I think you can expect that what, there name, will be name one member, Name one member of Congress. Well, they but failed. name one member of Congress. As you know, they tried another wonderful organization, Free Speech for People, tried with Marjorie Taylor Greene. They tried with Madison Cawthorn. Um, they, 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 they weren't as successful yet. But we haven't seen. Let's see what the evidence is. Remember, the FBI has seized the phone of Scott Perry. He's one of those people who was corresponding, texting about the overthrow of the election with Mark Meadows. So let's see what's in the report. I expect that the committee will, um, you know, will, uh, they've promised to cover all eight chapters. I, I don't see how you write about this without documenting the wrongdoing of members of Congress. We know some defied their subpoenas. Let's see what the committee says and let's see how the evidence, you know, if Perry if they seize your and there, phone, and there has to norm, norm, there ha yes, yes, but norm, there has to be a mechanism easier in order to remove people Michael. as our representatives than what we're going through because it never happens. That's Brother, the that's the point I'm trying to make. I, as I told you all those years ago, I couldn't believe it when I sat with you in New York. I'm like, this is the guy that I've been fighting criticizing and uh, slanging for all these years as and 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 now I'm sitting down with him and then of course 
I didn't know what to expect and we hit it off. But as I told you that day, it ain't easy. The rule of law is hard. When I went, I, I went to get your help on the impeachment. You know why I needed your help? Because my own colleagues, <laughs> the people I was working with in Congress and the members who I was the counsel to weren't ready to impeach Donald Trump. And it, I don't think they, because, mostly because Bill Barr's, because of Bob Mueller's foolish mistakes, well-intentioned, and Bill Barr's cynical and rude. He didn't only do a number on you. He did a number on the country because he distorted the Mueller report. That impeachment yep. was dead, except out of the blue, Ukraine happened. The point is, it's not easy. That's why you and I are and so many others are continuing to work hard. But we have the patience to win the battle. Uh, for for accountability for Trump. The problem is, the more we hold Trump accountable, the more we lift up DeSantis, and he's just as bad as Trump. Yeah. So let me just go back for a second, because you brought up the Mueller report, okay. and that's a great that's a great topic. Because, yeah, the Mueller report was swept under the rug by Bill Barr. And Mueller himself was large, you know, I mean, he's largely disappeared from public life. No one's heard from him, no interviews, no nothing. What, if any, impact do you think that the Mueller report will have going forward? I mean, do you think history will just simply view it as a missed opportunity or something to be discussed in school as a historical document? I believe that the um, Mueller report and his work are an important part of um, the impact of holding Trump accountable. In social science, uh, which I study, one of the things that I do at Brookings, we know that the way you achieve success against would-be autocrats, authoritarians, um, coup meisters, election deniers, the way you defeat a movement like uh, the one led by Trump, is by constantly throwing everything you have against them. So no, the Mueller report did not ultimately produce charges against Trump uh, or an impeachment of Trump, but it helped weigh him down. It was one, you know, it was more legal ballast. And it's an important part of the story of how we got here today, where finally he is going to, I believe, face multiple state and federal criminal charges in So then let me ask you this, because Democrats did not get killed in the midterm. So I think that some of us are happy to believe that the threat of authoritarianism is over. What's your opinion about that? And what are the most dangerous threats to our democracy right now? Other than Donald Trump. <laughs> the threat, um, the, it was not a coincidence that Democrats succeeded in the midterms, um, the, you know, the work of all of those who are uh, shrying <laughs> gavalt. Remember that term, crying out loud um, about Trump's crimes for all these years, um, uh, reached a crescendo uh, with the attention uh, that really the one January 6th committee brought. Um, there was a lot of att attention to the criminal threat of Trump's election denial movement. 
including its present iteration with all these people who wanted to run for office with his blessing to take control of our elections. So the voters were influenced to believe that correctly believe that democracy was on the ballot and they voted accordingly. It's not just something we would like to believe, Michael. Um, we we know because uh, a democracy was one of the top and in many polls, the top issue for voters. So, you know, all of us helped everybody who made a little noise and there's you and I are certainly loud and there are hundreds and thousands of others who speak out constantly. We call it the way we see it. Um, uh, we were a part of that success. The continuing threat is that these election deniers will have a power base in the United States House of Representatives. They'll have a, a megaphone. They will be a majority of the majority. They'll have subpoena power. And, uh, and, the, and, and, uh, and hundreds of them won around the country, not just in Congress, but state legislatures um, and other state offices. And then, you know, you got two, the two front runners for 2024, uh, Trump and DeSantis, who have utter contempt for the rule of law and who both believe that elections, uh, who are both election deniers, DeSantis supports. You know, here on Maya Culpa, we call so, these people our listeners, uh, those people that follow us, and I'm talking about you as well. We call them the Maya Culpa movement. And thanks to the Maya Culpa movement and folks like Midas and Lincoln Project and Brookings Institute, we were successful. And I do really hold, I give ourselves a little bit of a pat on the back in order to. Uh, energize this base to get out there and to vote to prevent, you know, what could have really been an ass beating of significant magnitude that would have caused us to lose our democracy. But that brings me to this point, because I have no idea if Kevin McCarthy will ultimately get the numbers to become the Speaker of the House. And you know how I feel about Kevin McCarthy. And I think he's just a fucking prick. But if he does succeed... He's out there and he's verbally promising all of these crazy investigations into Hunter Biden's laptop and Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden and so on. If the hearings occur, what will they do for these for the American people anyway? Right. I mean, they won't put food on the table. They're not going to help to bring down gas prices. So is it all really just a, a smear campaign against Democrats? Because that's what it seems to me. And do Republican voters actually care? I mean, do they care about Hunter Biden's laptop? I, I think that the House Republicans are going to send themselves right back into the minority by focusing on things that the American people don't care about. But that that is their choice. There's still this virus of Trumpism in the party, Michael, and they haven't overcome it. I'm running out of gas, so I should probably go eat my lunch. Everybody should also know that Norm is just getting over COVID, but he was still sweet enough of a man in order to join me and join you today. So thank you for that, Norm. You can trim that. You can ask me a last question and trim my coughing and my COVID out of the podcast. <laughs> no, I happen to like it. So you know what? I actually do. I have two it's last. The most. I have to say the reason I do the reason I love doing this podcast is because we really let it all hang out there, Michael. No one does 
No one does uh, Trump accountability quite like you. But, but no, I don't, don't think we, we have to? Can I ask you this? Don't we have to? Don't we have to finally hold him accountable, yes. hold all of yes. these folks accountable? And by the way, if Hunter Biden did something wrong, if Nancy Pelosi did something wrong, they too should be held accountable because it's re regardless of Republican or Democrat, if you do something that's wrong, but you can't just make stuff up, which is what the Republicans are doing right now. We should, call, instead of calling it the mea culpa movement, we have to call it the Trump culpa movement. Yeah, that's for sure. Hey, can I ask you this question, though? Can I ask you this question? Because right now, our schools are being held hostage by the Ron DeSantis's of the world, you know, who want to bake yes. hate into education. Now, we've seen a lot of renewed bigotry. We've seen a lot of renewed anti-Semitism, uh, anti-LGBTQ rights. We've seen a lot of... Um, you know, hatred uh, towards the black community and Tifa and all the other stuff that they want to throw into there, as well as violence, which is now following their rhetoric. What, in your opinion, is the reason that there's so much hatred out there? You know, what's the and what's our best way to combat it? Well, that's an excellent concluding question. We could do a. We could do a limited podcast series answering that question alone, Michael. I I believe that um, as a traditional person, a uh, religious person, um, you know, I go back to uh, our foundational texts, uh, not just of my own religion, but all of our texts, religious texts. They're some of the very oldest texts that we have and our humanities texts, not just the Let's not just look at the Bible. Uh, let's look at uh, the um, the Greeks and the Romans, the classical texts. And I think what you learn from that is that all of us are flawed, that hatred lives within the breast of even and the heart and mind of even the best people the very best of us slip. Sometimes it's the very best people in 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 a culture who actually make the biggest mistakes. Um, and, um, you know, we need to... Uh, so hatred is just an innate part of ourselves. It gets exacerbated. There are times when cultural factors make it worse. And Donald Trump took a bunch of smoldering em embers of resentment economic resentment, cultural resentment, fear of difference, migrants and others who are different, LGBTQ people. Um, and he inflamed what was already there. Um, and, and now we're really seeing it, we're seeing it explode, um, I think, as part of the, uh, as part of the, the post-Trump um, backlash, you know, this, this cult is very angry that power was denied them. And you're seeing the hatred expressed in, in various ways. And Donald Trump is fanning the flames of anti-Semitism. You know, he uses traditional anti-Semitic tropes. He says that the Jews are disloyal uh, because they don't support him. You know, this that's why Dreyfus the Dreyfus case, uh, it, it's an ancient anti-Semitic theme of Jewish disloyalty. 
So um, I I um, uh, think that um, that this is part of the the these hatreds. It's not just anti-Semitism. It's it's anti-minority. It's anti-immigrant. But it's part of what Donald Trump has wrought. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, uh, and there's other explanations, the economic struggles people are having now. When We know from his, the history of the 20th century that high inflation is a leading indicator for hate. It's what happened in a much worse situation in Germany, for example. I'm not comparing us to Weimar Germany. I'm just saying, let's learn from examples of the past. So people have dealt with this economic shock. The COVID is a third thing since I'm at the tail end of getting over my own. Um, uh, you know, the, the pandemic has also been very dislocating and shocking for our country and the world. So that puts the genie out of the bottle. So I would say all of those factors have created, have exacerbated a situation of extreme, um, you know, of the, uh, uh, in which we're in an extreme moment. But the problem is that even the best people have some hatred in them and not all of us are the best people. So you You have to, you know, Norm, what's amazing is everything that you're saying reminds me so much. There was a poem by Alexander Pope. It was called an essay on criticism. You remember there's a famous quote to err is human to forgive is divine Um, or to forgive divine. It's exactly, you know, the sentiment that you portray. And it's not just you portray it now here on Mea Culpa. You really portray this every single day of your life. You're really a super, super guy. I do want to ask you one last question, if that's okay. All right. It's called the bonus question. It's a real fast one, right? And I've asked this to all my, you know, all my guests. As we head into the end of 2023, what do you think was the most important political story of 2022? And what do you think that we should be looking forward to uh, in the new year? The most important domestic political story of 2022 was the recognition of the American people in the midterms that uh, the Donald Trump-led election denial movement was a criminal threat to our democracy, and uh, they substantially rejected it. The most important international story of 2022, uh, and it's a related one, was uh, Putin's uh, baseless uh, attack, not just on Ukraine, but by attacking Ukraine on the Western alliance and on democracy itself, uh, following the model that Donald Trump showed when he uh, uh, assaulted Ukraine in the impeachment that I worked on uh, and threatened and abused Ukraine and used Ukraine as a uh, means to an end to try to achieve his political objectives, to lash out at his opponent who he feared the most, Biden. Trump really set the model uh, for using Ukraine, uh, using and abusing Ukraine as a pawn. Uh, and I don't think that was lost on Putin. So those two stories are connected. In uh, 23, I, would just like to add I think we that I, mo- think that I think there's one more. 
Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, 23? Go ahead. Go no, ahead. I wait what for you. you. I wait for you. I'm sorry. I interrupted right. you. I wait for you. <laughs> 23 will be Donald Trump finally, finally, finally facing accountability in state and federal criminal charges for his wrongdoing, uh, his contempt for the rule of law. Uh, and the question the country, Republicans in the country will have to grapple with, what do you do about the fact that his most likely successor is just as bad, um, DeSantis? And then um, the I important international story of 23, I think will be, I don't know the answer to this. I hope it's a positive one. I'm going to work very hard on it. Will the West and the rest of the global allies standing behind Ukraine remain steadfast as the war grinds on a multi-year affair. See, I think the international story uh, also deals with uh, Iran and um, women uh, protesting huh? with uh, headscarves, the hijabs, and so on. And I tell you the reason why, because to me, it shows that the world understands the importance of democracy, something that you and I fight for every single day. So I hope that, of course, stays included. Norm Eisen, thank you, my brother. Thank you, my friend. It is always an honor and a pleasure to see you, even though virtually feel better, my friend. And I will see you very, very soon in person. I look forward to it. I'm feeling great. Made a fast recovery. Exactly. Uh, and uh, and it's always a pleasure to be with you. Uh, and um, 2023 is going to be a big year for our issues, my friend. Big year. Amen to that. Amen. Thanks, Norm. Thanks, Michael. And now for today's mea culpa. I like the saying, out with the old and in with the new, especially around the holidays when there was a certain pleasure in believing that no matter what transpired the year before, a new one is coming, a blank page, a fresh start, another chance to get it right. We are exiting 2022 knowing a few things we didn't know was going on. We know now, for instance, that Trump and Trumpism is evil, but finally on its way out. Trump's best days are behind him, and what legacy he has left, Republican lawmakers have outed themselves as lying, scheming, power-hungry fucking lunatics. And many have startlingly low IQs. And no use for education, but do I think all Republicans are all bad? The answer to that is no. Maybe just misguided or small-minded or dumb. But whatever the case, I resolved to judge Republicans on a case-by-case -case basis. And as Trump loses steam, maybe some Republicans will come back to their senses. I predict that this moment now, when Ron Santis looks like the guy to beat, will pass. And I say this because he's a mean fucking spirited oaf whose draconian 15-week abortion ban apparently doesn't go far enough for the far-right branch of the party. In fact, the executive director of Florida, Voice for the Unborn, said this week, and I quote, So far, we've actually been quite disappointed with Governor DeSantis. So 15 weeks isn't extreme enough to pass muster with pro-lifers? But it doesn't really matter. Florida is a paradox. It's a Republican vice grip now. But Floridians have a habit of swinging both ways. Democrat and Republican. 
And fun fact, Florida has one of the highest rates of abortion in the country, nearly twice the national average. And as surrounding states have tightened their laws, women seeking abortion care are running to Florida clinics in droves. The number of women seeking abortions in Florida has roughly doubled, according to Planned Parenthood. And listen to me, doubled. So DeSantis may not like it, but his state has become an abortion hub. So enjoy that, asshole. And if DeSantis's debate against Charlie Crist is any indication on how he will behave on the national stage, you can kiss his fat ass goodbye. Why? Because he fucking tanked. He smirked weirdly. He couldn't answer even fucking softball questions. And should he ever get on a debate stage with Trump, it's all over. Trump will eat him for breakfast, lunch, and for dinner. I mean, just go ask Ted Cruz or Jeb Bush if they like to get back in the ring with Trump. Because the answer is, they don't. But I also predict that the far right will be bane of the Republicans' existence. Extremists got a few moments in the sun, and now they want to run the show. But if the midterms have anything to teach us, it's that extremism in general is not popular with Americans. Now, Ron wants to look like an extremist tough guy. Like, now he's the guy to run interference for the anti-vaxxers. In fact, this week, he asked the state Supreme Court to form a grand jury to investigate the makers of the COVID-19 vaccine, charging that the vaccine gave people heart troubles. I mean, heart troubles? Seriously? What the fuck is wrong with you? His threats against Big Pharma are going absolutely nowhere fast. First, the vaccine saved 99.9 more people than it killed. And second, DeSantis will need Big Farmer on his side if he ever wants to get on the national stage. Plus, so many people died of COVID in Florida. I mean, seriously, I can't believe that there aren't riots in the streets. But wait, DeSantis is trying to make sure that protesters are not safe in Florida by passing laws against peaceful protesters, which last I checked is against the Constitution. But it's all just lawless bullshit to get himself some glowing press in the conservative ragtags and on TV. The lawlessness of the Trump years, the constant chance of lock her up and angry rallies may be DeSantis's wet dream. But honestly, he simply doesn't have the juice to get his entire party behind him the way that Trump did. Those days are over. Today, Kevin McCarthy can't even get his caucus together. So how will he become Speaker of the House? It's all going to be left up to the new year. But I predict that Republicans are worried about today will not be the ones who will take the GOP into the future. So fear not, my friends, because things are going to be exactly the way that we want them to be. They're going to go the right way. The blue wave is going to continue to thrive. So my friends, enjoy the holidays. And as always, thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media, written by Jimmy Jelinek and Paula Killen. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. 
Maya Kofa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Maya Kofa, nothing but the truth. This is my Maya Kofa.